Welcome to the Crystal Caputo Show, a space where we'll catch up with business leaders, community builders, and politicians to explore the issues that affect us most. Hello, this week I'm excited to be speaking with Roger Baker. Prior to becoming a lawyer, Roger was an officer and director of several upstream oil and gas companies working in both the United States and Canada. Roger's practice is focused on litigation and corporate law, and his legal experience is bolstered by more than a decade of operational governance, finance, and management experience. Roger is well-connected in the capital and lending markets, having raised over $100 million of private capital for his previous businesses. So we dig in to everything from the great deferral to discussing the process of insolvency, and I discovered that there's such a thing as a $30,000 mattress. And oh yeah, bonus feature, I divulged the first time I need a lawyer at the tender age of 11 to get out of a CD subscription service. Anyway, I hope you enjoy my conversation with the incredibly insightful, informative, and knowledgeable Mr. Roger Baker. Hi, Roger. Thanks so much for making the time to speak with me today. I read your bio before we got started here so people have a little bit of a sense of your background but what I, where I kind of want to start is just very basically what does an insolvency lawyer do exactly for people who don't know thanks crystal um so my practice as a lawyer is twofold i deal in litigation and then i deal in insolvency and in bankruptcies and i do that primarily for corporations not for individuals so what does an insolvency lawyer do it depends but uh, what I tend to do is a lot of restructuring of companies that have overextended their balance sheet, but yet still have a functioning business. And I help them reorganize their affairs so that they can continue. Okay, so it seems pretty timely. And I've seen the term the great deferral being used. And insolvencies were on the rise before the pandemic hit as debt to income ratios were near peak. And the pandemic has that on pause for now, my understanding is because you obviously can't collect debt from people who aren't bringing in any income. Feel free to jump in and correct me if I'm wrong on any of these points, by the way. And as many are choosing deferred payments on items like property taxes and mortgages, when we start returning to a more normal economy, what do you think that's going to mean in terms of compounding the pre-existing debt bubble? So there is a mountain of things to unpack in there. A few points. There's a reason why things have uh, have slowed in the insolvency world. And part of it, yes, is the, the whole blood from a stone concept. It's harder to take what no one has. But at the same time, there was also a slowdown in the courts, and the courts are also giving preference, uh, and this varies from court to court across the country, but the courts are also giving preference to urgent matters, and for the most part, foreclosing on someone's house is not urgent. Bailiffs who would otherwise collect and enforce securities and debts across the country in some provinces are not yet working. In other provinces, they've just gotten the go-ahead to go back to work. Uh, We're recording this on the 16th of June, so I'm not sure what date this year going to publish this, but that's the way of the world at the moment. And those things eventually will all come back into into normal practice and uh, credit collectors and debt collectors will begin doing their jobs. Uh, Insolvency lawyers will once again start proceeding against individuals on smaller, smaller insolvencies. So there's that. The great deferral is a fairly apt term because it it is in one sense kicking the can down the line as uh, 
you know, the, the great deal of money that's been injected into the economy by the federal and provincial governments does have a f- the effect of forestalling the inevitable for some people. For others who were in a more creditworthy position prior to COVID coming around, the government programs may stave off a bankruptcy where they otherwise would have gone into bankruptcy. So it really depends how bad your balance sheet was prior to COVID as to whether the great deferral is a deferral or it's a reprieve or if it's just, you know, uh, one more nail in the coffin and you were already dead. Yeah, and I think reprieve versus deferral is something that's really a lot of people don't understand. At least I'm experiencing a lot of people don't seem to understand. So for instance, they think, okay, well, I can. I heard that the you know, the municipal government saying I can defer my property taxes until December, let's say. But deferring it just means that you don't have to pay it this month without necessarily incurring any interest or penalization for that, but you're still owing it. So December shows up and you still owe that six months deferral plus going forward, right? So I yeah. I think that might be a really overlooked reality for a lot of people that maybe aren't that strong in understanding the financial stuff in the first place. A lot of entrepreneurs get really familiar with how it works, basically, the balance sheet, the assets and liabilities. But at the same time, there seems to be a gap of understanding in, in I'm going to say, average Joe or whatever, that that that's the reality. It's not like, okay, you never have to pay this. Thanks, guys. That's just not how taxation works. And municipalities can't run at a deficit, unlike provinces and in, in federal governments. So, yeah, and there will be challenges in that. I mean, I don't know what uh, the Municipal Government Act looks like where you live, but here in Alberta, I do have a little bit of experience with it. And that's same here. They they have difficulties with deficits, and um, I mean, if they get into a situation where the city or a rural municipality needs to foreclose on someone to collect back taxes. Eventually, they'll get it out of the uh, out of the land. But if that's an eighteen month process, I mean, you know, they've unwittingly been put into a deficit by someone else's default. If you get enough of those, so certainly challenging from a cash management perspective. If you're a small government. So can you maybe spell out a little bit more explicitly or maybe paint a picture for me and for people who don't know what it looks like? So somebody comes to you and they're like, here's my situation. Doesn't look like like the apples are not adding up here. What does that process look like? And how do you even start to begin to walk down that path with somebody that might be losing their multi-generational business, for example, that employs 30 people? It's it's like Dragnet from the 60s. Uh, we start by looking at the facts. So, you know, we take a we take a step back and try and figure out initially where they are. And uh, as they say, the devil's in the details. So I always look at what they've signed. You'll find, you know, entrepreneurs and a great majority of the population signs things without reading them. The joke about lawyers is we're the people that actually read stuff from start to finish. So a lot of people have have entered into contracts that are binding on them that they may not necessarily have fully read or fully understand. So a part of the service I provide is is letting people know truly what they're obligated to pay and uh, then helping them figure out, you know, who the courts would prioritize in the event of an insolvency. And, you know, if there's enough value that's above water that uh, that can be saved, that can be reorganized, or if it can't, you know, how does it how does it get moved forward? And 
and cleaned up in an orderly fashion. So it's very, very fact-dependent. No two client situations are alike, although the legal tools that I use are oftentimes similar from case to case, but it all comes down to the paperwork. So, but I do, I do usually start with to try and reassure the people that, uh, you know, your net worth is not your self-worth and, you know, good people get into bad situations. Sometimes pandemics come and close down the economy. Who knew? And, um, there's more to life than, uh, than a business or a house or, or an income and, uh, you'll get through this. Yeah, I have to imagine that there's a psychological component there too, because a lot of people, like you said, either tie their self-worth into it or just sort of put the blinders on because they don't want to think about it. And then it just mounds and mounds like the dude that doesn't pay his taxes for like eight years and thinks it's just like, oh, they haven't contacted me. So I guess I'm kind of out of the woods on this kind of thing. It must be uh, interesting to have to bring people down to reality and present to them the facts that either they didn't want to face or didn't realize. Willful blindness, it happens. Sure, sometimes that's a hard part of the job is to break the bubble for somebody that uh, that they've been living in for a while. But, you know, it's not all it's not all bad. There are often times where I get to deliver really, really good news to clients you know, where I tell them, hey, you know, that debt's not a personal obligation. It's just your company. So, yeah, you're going to lose your business, but you get to keep your house. So oftentimes, you know, I'm able to deliver relief to people when they come to see me because they go, okay, I knew it was bad before I made this phone call, but now I understand this is bad, this is really bad, but over here, this is good. And oh, by the way, I get to keep my RRSPs on the other side of a personal bankruptcy, so maybe I can rebuild. You know, So everyone's situation is different, but the economy has failures. It's a, it's a part of the natural cycle, and the federal government has put in place the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act and the CCAA, or the Creditors Rearrangement Act, that, that are both designed to allow the courts to clean up these messes in a relatively orderly fashion in a way that's predictable and fair. So so there's, it's a little bit formulaic in, in that sense, well, with the stability of having the legislation there for sure. And I, I think I can't imagine like on some level, you get to the point, like, I get on the phone and I'm calling you an insolvency lawyer. At that point, there must be relief even in just knowing the path. It's almost like you find out, you know, you've got this situation I was going to say something really awful like cancer but at least if you know the diagnosis then you can treat it right giving people that path forward no matter what it looks like and and it's great if you can offer them hope but just knowing I guess is probably a huge burden in and of itself even above the financial stuff because even how much of your worth can you really tie into money at the end of the day you either if you have it you have it if you don't have it like that's just the reality of the situation right so I don't know I think sure I mean there's a threshold level you know <laughs> where everybody's got to have it right like we all want to have groceries and and a place to uh a place to put our head down but yeah can can you tell the difference between a $600 mattress and a $30,000 mattress I can't well <gasps> there's $30,000 mattresses yes there are and here in Calgary when things were booming you could buy a king-size mattress filled with camel hair and a whole bunch of other weird things for $30,000 what Oh, I know. I, so, Exciting. but like, uh, okay, I'm not going to go too far down this rabbit hole, but like, that's <laughs> so ridiculous. And if you want to like talk about the re- 
ridiculous opulence and spending. Like, hey, maybe you wouldn't be in this situation if you weren't buying $30,000 mattresses and you just bought like a regular Serta mattress. Yeah, yeah. I saw an advertisement for this cool looking barbecue the other day and I was like, oh, that's nice. And I just looked it up just out of curiosity. It was like 25 grand. Like who has a $25,000 barbecue? Most people don't even have a $25,000 car. It's madness. Okay, there's my drive time, sorry. So I don't know if you're open to this and just to be super, super clear with everybody, this is not legal advice for anybody. This is a conversation between two people that you're just happening to listen in on. Is there any broad recommendations that you can offer to business owners that they can implement now that might help bridge them to the other side if they were in fairly healthy condition before this? Probably the easiest advice, and this certainly isn't legal advice, but I mean, the best advice is if you're having problems with someone, pick up the phone, let them know. I mean, because if you begin communications through counsel, rarely does that uh, resolve things cheaply, quickly, or avoid escalation of your of your issues. So yeah, pay your bills if you can, and if you can't, pick up the phone. You know, that that's that's a fairly fairly general way of looking at it. In large part, you know, the law is identical to what it was prior to COVID. So if you signed a contract, that contract is still going to say what it says, you know, whether you're reading it in June or whether you were reading it uh, in January before all this, uh, all of this stuff came down. So whether there's any relief in that contract or, or everything else, I mean, those are all fine details that you'd need to get some advice on. But in short, I mean, the system that we have is designed to govern through through a crisis. So, and it's not it's not so much the court's job to deal with these crises as it is Parliament and uh, the, the various provincial governments who need to step up and change the law or create a temporary law that uh, that deals with the the circumstances. And I mean, we're seeing a very large amount of law being generated almost on the fly. If you think of the, about the first few days of the Prime Minister's public appearances in front of his house, I mean, he'd come out, say something, and then a week later, you know, a draft of that legislation might be available for few. But, you know, he was he was really, I mean, generating law off the cuff. And then, you know, the press would ask him a question and he'd say, oh, and, you know, they'd run back and they'd think about that and tweak the forthcoming law. And so it's, it's, it's been a very interesting time to watch the parliamentary procedures, but that's what we've got right now because the courts across the country are stalled, if not closed, for most purposes. And I think, listen, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, there was a pandemic that nobody in our lifetime that I can see has ever come to. So there was the necessity for swift action and we all knew it was never going to be perfect so it'll be really interesting to see how they try to bring down the other side of this right because it's it's one thing to be like okay serve and business loans and da 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 but like how they're gonna start scaling some of that back as we start resuming normal social economic life is going to be something interesting to keep our eyes on well at least mine because i'm interested most people probably just want to get back to work and aren't overly concerned but yeah it'll be uh, it'll be something that we're talking about for uh, for years to come i'm sure in various different uh, various different facets especially us litigators because 
I mean, we deal with age-old questions all the time. You know, it's it's not unusual to have a lawsuit where we're fighting about things that happened six, seven, eight years ago and longer. So it'll be 2020 for us for years and years to come. I'm sorry. So I, I, I'm going to interject with a really a funny story. Well, I think it's funny, but you might appreciate it. Um, so do you remember like Columbia House? You used to get like 10 CDs for 99 cents. Yeah, and, or and then, cassettes if you're even older than you are. <laughs> so I was in seventh grade and I signed up for it and my uncle's a lawyer and he had to write this huge long letter on my behalf because I obviously wasn't 18 and I couldn't have legally entered into the contract to buy all these CDs because I bought like four and then my parents found out and they were like super mad about it. <laughs> getting out of a contract. That was my first getting out of a contract experience. At the ripe old age of however how old you are in seventh grade, I don't know. Seeing lawyers are valuable. <laughs> they are. Um, so I, I just want to pivot a little bit. There really, there's four situations going on right now, or it's been said that there's four. There's the pandemic, the economic contraction, the oil price collapse, and the federal government response to that. And when I entered you, I did indicate that you had experience in the gas and oil sector before you became a fancy schmancy lawyer. Is that accurate? Yeah. So my first career was was in the oil and gas industry. I started in the year 2000 in Calgary um, as a geologist and uh, then wound up spending seven years as the CEO of a junior oil and gas company. But that was a completely and totally different economic cycle. You know, everything that that we spent years working on was wiped away in large part by the Great Depression of 2008, 2009. And so my experience in that industry is a little dated at this point. But yeah, I certainly certainly worked in that area for a long time and still comment on it from time to time. Well, that's good to know because I'm going to totally ask you about it right now. But just before I ask that question, I just want to say, have you heard of the kangaroo market? Did you hear this new saying now? Because there's like the bear no. market, the bull market. Now there's a kangaroo and they just showed like the kangaroo bouncing up and down because it's every single day. Anyway, look it up. It's cute. Okay. So knowing that it's impossible to predict what the future holds, given that the myriad of questions and the subsequent variables to the answers to the questions are too numerous to inform with any certainty the path forward. What I'm hoping you can speak to specifically, given your experience as a former CEO in oil and gas, is what you think the future of our energy industry might look like. And if you don't know what you think it might look like, what should it look like in your opinion? Well, I think it's going to look a lot like what it used to look like, with the exception that you know, certain aspects of the industry are going to be less attractive at these at these prices. But I mean, Canada sits atop a absolutely staggering amount of energy wealth in Western Canada. And um, I mean, that's that's been there. It's been being extracted since long before you or I were born. And I expect in some way, shape or form that in- industry will continue for a long time. You know, I'm not the best person to talk to about progress on renewable, solar, nuclear, all, any of the al- other alternative energies that are out there. But from a practical perspective, you know, people buying energy in mass really are more concerned about the price than where it comes from. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think competition comes down to a reliable source that is readily available and secure. And if there's something that comes off along that can displace oil and oil and gas for price, reliability, and security. You know that'll win the market. That was a very political answer. 
Oh yeah. So as a former CEO, I don't like to give my real opinion publicly. It's uh, it's too well ingrained in me. One does not serve their shareholders very well by putting their public opinion out there, or else you wind up being the subject of op-eds in in uh, newspapers and uh, all sorts of other things. So, Cancel but culture. I'm very, very opinionated when I'm paid to be on someone else's behalf. Yeah, I don't think it would. I definitely don't want to get into unpacking the whole cancel culture thing that's happening right now. But yeah, it's it's probably a pretty good time to. Um, well, I guess there's two minds. There's, I would say it's a good time to park your opinion. But also, I'm a pretty big proponent of free speech. So do what you do, I guess. Yeah, I think I'm too old to uh, to understand cancel culture. It's it's a new term to me in 2020, and I'm not uh, I'm not fully up to speed on it. Okay, so if you were to speak your true mind, so let's just pretend you're still working in oil and gas and you were a CEO and you made a statement and you spoke your true opinion about something and it went against what mainstream media viewed as an acceptable position on a matter, then they would force your resignation, basically. That's cancel culture. Forcing people out because they don't share what's viewed as the collective view in mainstream media, I guess is a simple way to put it. Gotcha. So don't do that. But you don't have to worry about it because you're not in that position anymore. And you are the principal of your law firm, correct? So unless you decide to cancel yourself, I think you're, you're probably okay. Yeah, it sounds like I'm reasonably safe, I guess. You insulated Maybe I should have more opinions. Is that is that what you're saying? It's yes. safe to it's, it's safe to come out. But you do have opinions. So you guys, I'll put a link in the show notes, but you guys have to follow Roger on Twitter because he's very poignant. But like, I don't know if, if, I hope you don't find this offensive, but I think you have like a very dry sense of humor, which I really appreciate and, and find hilarious and insightful. So I think the word you're looking for is cynical. So, uh, but yeah, no, I take shots at all sides. So, so thank you for sharing that. Maybe once you've decided that you are above the reprieve of cancel culture, you can come back on and share your real true feelings on oil and gas after all of this stuff dies down. Okay, so let's pivot. And what I like to ask everybody at the end when we're sort of wrapping up is if they have any quotes or advice that you want to share that either resonates with you or you think of often or you think people might find valuable. Yeah, I've already said it once in our conversation here, but a great piece of advice I got from a uh, a more senior entrepreneur than me uh, that has stuck with me for a number of years was don't equate your self-worth and your net worth because if you do you can wind up in a very dark place and uh, you know that that resonates for me because you know a lot of people really do invest a great deal of themselves in their career and uh, the financial results that they get from that and life throws surprises at you you know you you might have just taken out a great big mortgage and lost your job in uh, in the last 90 days and those two things combined can derail a pretty good plan so you never know excellent advice Marcus Aurelius who has this exercise in his journals where it's is this the condition I so feared and every so often so I try to do it twice a year just because kind of a sucky baby about committing to it but it's like to live on the scantest affairs eat the ramen noodles and you realize is this the condition I so feared so maybe takes away a little bit of the attachment to the material wealth that we are very fortunate and I would assume people listening to a podcast obviously have some level of 
security and comfort to be able to listen to a podcast. So it just is a good way to, you know, separate exactly what you're saying, your, your value and your value of yourself from your material possessions. Right. Or maybe that's just like what I tell myself so I don't have to feel bad about being not a $30,000 mattress sleeper. Who knows? <laughs> well, the, uh, the other saying I have, and uh, it's a little bit more lighthearted, but uh, the secret to happiness is lowered expectations. So, you know, if you can, uh, if you can be happy with less... You know, it's easier to be happy. Uh, you know, a lot of people like they really do get caught up in the in the trappings of of wealth and power and status. And you know, it who can blame them? I suppose it's in our face every single day. Maybe you're not a great person if you don't have the the latest and greatest iPhone. But you know, I think buying into that really really hurts people in in a lot of sense. I could not possibly agree with you more. And I think the fact that, and, I, and I've said this elsewhere before, but I think I'll, I'll reiterate it here. Like we stopped keeping up with the Joneses and started keeping up with the Kardashians. And there's been a really unrealistic shift. And part of that is online culture. I don't know if you've noticed my, I try to keep my social media spaces fairly positive. Like I don't follow a lot of people on there. They're very curated events, but I've really noticed there seems to be a, a, people are devolving into really negative and dark spaces. And I read that potentially it's because people aren't going to work to have face-to-face interactions and stuff. So everybody's basically just, you can be a troll on the internet with zero social repercussions, if that makes sense. So in general, I think people are, really starting to suffer from isolation stuff right now you were trying to be all positive and then i went and made it all like sad about isolation and trolls sorry oh no 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 um (laughs) i i do have a a fairly dark sense of humor on on this so i mean in the in the darkness i mean there's always there's always a reason to be positive so you know um, and you're not mean like you're not like a troll that's like mean you're just like you make funny observations and point out hypocrisy that's not bad it's hilarious (laughs) hilarious <laughs> <laughs> well there you go justin trudeau never responds to my uh, to my tweets when i mention the uh, the funny things he does so, so rude maybe he needs to follow me if he's following your podcast maybe you can do a shout out he can follow me do you hear that justin twitter. follow my podcast so that you can follow roger on twitter that's that's the ask this week's ask (laughs) (laughs) there we go well we can't top that can we no i think that's actually a perfect place to stop and i want to thank you so much roger for offering your insights on this stuff i know it's not necessarily something that a lot of people think about but it's something that people are probably going to be thinking or a lot more people are going to be thinking about in recent days so if you are accepting clients i'm happy to link that in the show notes and if anybody wants to reach out to you for any legal advice you are taking clients correct uh yeah we're open for business all right i will link in the show notes thanks so much for your time today thanks so much crystal it was a real pleasure